0: you got a whole uh alpha team now don't you but you but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people and it we can move the needle how often do you hear a hunting podcast we've talked about this people relate to this <laughs> thanks for tuning in everyone um this will be i guess our first actually well, one of our first recorded podcasts on Kafaru Cast. and um, I'm happy to have these two gentlemen on uh, for for this uh, episode, and uh, obviously by the giant Born Primitive podcast logo in the back, uh, these two gentlemen are with Born Primitive, and on my left, uh, that's Kurt Gamache. Is that how I pronounce that? Yeah, that's right. Fucking it. nailed it. Uh, and Bruno, uh, too big for Fallon. his age. What's your last name, Bruno? How do you say it exactly? Alan uh, Allen, 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 F A L L O N. I honestly, at this point, am now thinking I should have known that before I started because the first name's enough. You don't, you don't need a last name with with a guy no, like Bruno. A,
1: I, I knew Bruno for a few years before I even found <laughs> out he had a last name, and Bruno's not even his real first name. So.
0: <laughs> well, I got to be honest, I was hoping it was something really difficult to pronounce so I could say, oh, okay, but it was Alan, so I, I had to just fess up. I didn't know your last name. <laughs> He's still fucking it up. Still fucking it up. It's Fallon. Fallon. <laughs> Alan, Fallon. <laughs> All right, that was easy enough. Um, but uh, <laughs> so these two gentlemen work for Born Primitive, uh, Kurt on the outdoor side and then Bruno runs the tactical side. Um, these uh, Both these gentlemen um, served many years in the military, uh, Kurt, the standard 20 Bruno's mom told him never to be a quitter. And, uh, he was in during the Reagan era. How long were you in Bruno? 30 years active
2: duty. And then I did uh 10 years as a government civilian after that still with DOD. Gotcha.
0: And then Kurt.
1: Yeah, I just, I punched out shortly after my 20 year term retired just recently in July.
0: And without going into, you, you know, whatever detail you guys want, uh, you know, what did you guys do when you're in the military brief, uh, description, I guess.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I was an army guy. I, uh, started out in uh, the Ranger battalion. Uh, matter of fact, uh, not sure when this will air, but tomorrow is 25 October and that'll be 40 years to the day. I, uh, jumped into a uh, Grenada. So it's, I've been doing this a while. I went to special forces, spent a good bit of time there and at, uh, the 15-year mark i decided to do something different and i went and flew special ops with the 160th night stalkers and that's what ended me up here in virginia beach and uh, tied to the seal community i came over to liaison and i spent my last uh, three years as the army liaison to the guys here and that uh, basically moved me into life after active duty i spent 10 years uh, with one of the commands here basically working uh, as a deputy ops guy and then running an urban training program I just punched out this last February, 40 years, five months to today, pretty much all of it in the soft community. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, I still would be doing it if my body would let me. And I just want to do something a little different. We can kind of talk about Born Primitive in a little while, but it's a great, great change for me.
1: Mm. Yeah, and for me, um, I spent my first four years in the military, in the Marine Corps, um, and then I got out transition over to the Navy. So I spent the last 16 years uh, in the Navy uh, doing special operations out here in uh, Virginia Beach.
0: Gotcha. So with, um, uh, with your backgrounds and transitioning into the civilian world working for born primitive. Like I have a I have an ODA guy staying at my house right now that's doing the skill bridge thing the last six months. It's been a little weird for him with the same background that you guys have to transitioning, I don't say he's yeah, nervous maybe or like, you know, you do something for that long, like how it's gonna transition over. Um, how's it going so far? I'm assuming the transitioning to born primitive at least you had some like-minded people, but for each of you transitioning over, has it been good, bad, a little bit in the middle? How's that going? It's, it's kind of interesting. Um,
2: my first day with Born Primitive, uh, actually about a week before my first day, I get a text from Kurt and Kurt asked me if I was going to an outdoor show with Born Primitive. And I'm like, why is Kurt asking me this? And then I realized Kurt was gonna do a skill bridge so that I came on board to work and Kurt came on board to do his skill bridge. And uh, we really came here together and are, in my opinion, changing the culture of Born Primitive. Um, We've got a very receptive owner. He's got a a military background. Uh, He's been in the community and he is absolutely wide open to letting us do what we wanna do so for me coming to born primitive was very nervous uh working in an environment where things like hr worlds exist and things like that <laughs> and i did not have that in my past 40 years uh, but, but i'll tell you it's, it's a good culture here i do have to watch not being my true personality here at times because i don't think it'd be how it was accepted in dod but i'm enjoying it and probably the biggest thing i'm enjoying is since i started tactical up from nothing i'm talking product development marketing and everything is I'm getting to create something that didn't exist and that's that's the challenge I needed. I think if I'd walked into something established I probably wouldn't even be here.
1: Yeah, I think I think my experience is is going to be just as similar as everybody else who spends a lot of time doing a profession. <laughs> Is that Mackenzie? That's Mackenzie. <laughs> uh, just, just a oh. great hug. She's like, hey. Uh,
0: Mackenzie killed her first elk uh, uh, just a few days I
1: know. ago. I know. I saw, I saw the pictures and everything. That was, I, <laughs> congratulations, Mackenzie. Congrats. Yeah, that was
0: awesome. Uh, I'll come see you in a bit. Um,
1: that, that was with the rifle, right?
0: Yeah, that was.
1: Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. Um, so, yeah, my, my transition um, – it came with, with its own level of challenges. Um, we are fortunate enough that we have a lot of very receptive individuals, at least in the community that I was in that understand that that's a challenging process and and allowed me to have the time I needed to, to give it its proper due, uh, one, because it's a, it's a big leap. Um, to it, you, you have to understand that like, now you can take care of yourself. It's not all just about the team or the, or, or the squadron or the troop or, or your guys, like you have to really kind of look internally and say, Hey, like, what do I want for myself? And then how can that best benefit my family? Because it's, you're not just walking this path alone. Um, so I, I, did a lot of searching. I used a lot of resources that were available to me. Um, n- nonprofit organizations like uh, the Honor Foundation, um, putting some really good transition programs. Uh, the CEO Future Foundation was another one um, that I utilized for many years, actually, before I even started to, the process of getting out. I, um, and I kind of mentioned this the last podcast, but I, I over plan No Uh, way. Preparedness is is in my nature. So I started my transition mentally like three years out, coming up like backwards planning from the day that I knew that I wanted to get out because I I knew it wasn't just about me. Like I had four kids that were depending on me. I had a wife that was depending on me. I, You know, all the other challenges and and struggles that you go through. uh, I knew I had to uh, honor that transition and give it the proper respect uh, so that it was a success. Um, that's how I ended up coming across Born Primitive. Um, they were starting the outdoor line with you when I first uh, ran into them. This was like last September, so a little over a year ago. Um, that's when you guys just first released your your products. And it really piqued my interest. And I knew this was something that I wanted to, to kind of be a part of. Uh, I didn't know anything about you, Aaron. I didn't know who the fuck you were. It happens. Uh, I know uh, <laughs> but uh but now I do and um I, I think I'm better for it. And you're you're a big mentor to me uh in this process as well. Like I, I don't know much. Um I didn't know much about the backcountry hunting community, but I spent a lot of time with you. I spent spending a lot of time in the field, uh and I'm learning and growing every day and I'm gonna try and apply that knowledge to developing better products.
0: And I, I think, um, yeah, and, and Kurt and I actually just went hunting together recently. Um, you know, when I, I did a podcast a long time ago with, um, a guy I was stationed within Korea, this was, uh, 96, seven, eight time frame. And, uh, he ended up, go, he ended up retiring as a command sergeant major. He was in for, he kind of like you 32 years. And, uh when I was in, I had just reenlisted maybe a year before I met him. And I was in, anyway, I got, I was in an explosion, had some issues. And, and uh, he was like, dude, you, you need to get out. And I was like, and we were friends and he was, he outranked me. I was actually technically whatever fraternization. He not supposed to be hanging out with an E4. I think it was an E7 at the time. And he had already been in for a while. And he's like, look, I know you like this. And we, I did a podcast with him. He's like, you need to go do what you were put on this earth to do, which is go hunting basically. And it was a a tougher decision for for me to get out. I'm glad I got out in some ways. Other ways I, I'm, you know, kind of wish I would have stayed in, but that was 20 years ago. Um, A lot of people don't realize I'm getting close to 50 now. And looking back, what, this was Clinton administration before we were at war with the entire world. Well, Bruno, you're old enough. You went through everything, but Kurt, you were through the entire global war on terror, like your entire time in. So, getting out for you guys now would be a lot different for a guy getting out in pre two, you know, pre nine eleven. Right? It's a lot. It's a lot different because. Both of you spent the last 20 years at at war with the entire world. I mean, you know, we were at war for a long time. So as you're transitioning out with BP and the experiences you have, it was experiences through, I mean, we've been through some shit as a country over the last 20 years. On the hunting side, a little bit different than the tactical side, but what are you guys seeing now? Rewind, pre or nine eleven to, to now, as far as the military community, um, the gear, how much that's changed, and I want to make sure I form this right, um, how much did your gear suck for one 20 years ago, has it gotten any better now, how much is that helping you, and I'm not talking like night vision and things like that, but general gear, and then how much has that military atmosphere changed from then to now?
2: Yeah, I'd love to jump on that because uh, we actually just did a a briefing of our our tactical products the other day, and I started it off with how long I've been in the game. And, uh, you know, in the 80s, I'm telling you, we went everywhere in jungle fatigues and jungle boots. We didn't have Gore-Tex. It didn't exist. The first Gore-Tex that came out, we actually destroyed in our community because it came out in brown boots and the military couldn't have brown boots, so they dyed it black and they dyed, and that destroyed the breathable fabric of Gore-Tex, which was hilarious. The first generations of Gore-Tex were so loud, we actually wore it under our camis. Um, and life has drastically changed. The crazy thing is, is uh, I came in, I went in in 81, and uh, the gear difference between 81 and 2001, 911 was slow, not great. We made changes and most of the stuff we made ourself. Um, if, you, if you look at everything from guns to nods and everything, it was a very slow process. If you look at the development of gear from 2001 to 2005, uh, in that four year period, the uphill curve on that, you couldn't keep up. And I'm talking, I'm talking uniforms, I'm talking boots, I'm talking uh, weapons, optics, every single thing because of the demand for what we needed overseas and it hasn't stopped. So the, the biggest thing for me and that I've seen culturally is the gear is the best it's ever been and it continues to get better and it, it's very competitive, um, but the force is definitely different. Uh, I think that when I look at the, especially the, the military culture as a whole, but the special operations community, the operators now are a lot smarter, a lot more sophisticated, a lot more techy, and they're a lot less raw. They're a lot less uh, mean beasts. Not saying there aren't a ton of those out there. My God, there's plenty of them. But I just think that the man, because of the equipment and the nature of the mission, used to be a lot harder. Uh, And I think that now, because of technology, our operators focus on less and have more support guys doing more for them and have much better equipment. Uh, Therefore, what I worry about is you get in an environment that – you don't have all these support things and you're hanging it out there. I think it, that the man's going to be a little bit different than he used to be. That's just, just how I see it.
0: Well, I'm glad you answered that way because I cannot speak, you know, to that, trying, you know, trying to stay obviously in my lane, but I can say that same shit is exact on the hunting side. And, and I've been, I've come off like a dick, uh, mild, to put it mildly where I am like learn to read a, a, a a compass, right? Don't hit the easy button, get rid of the GPS. So learn to navigate, learn to train association, things Kurt and I talk about all the time. Hunting community is no different. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and I I can only speak that far back, you did not have the technology you had. You had a lot of cotton, you had horrible boots, you didn't have comfortable pack frames or 16 ounce, four, four inch tall air pads. I mean, I can go on and on where those things all may make you a more comfortable hunter but they don't make you a better hunter you make yourself a better hunter and it sounds like you're basically saying the same thing on the the tactical side meaning if you get yourself to a a woods a field craft or woodsmanship standpoint animal behavior fitness standpoint doesn't really matter what's in your hands you're going to get it done where in today's day and age and take this for what it's worth listening in on the hunting side there are too many easy buttons, all the different mapping software, the, all the GPSs, range finders, everything else. Because back in the day, I didn't have a range finder, so I had to learn to judge yardage. S- sounds like paralleling basically what you're saying, Bruno, for the most part on the tactical side. And and Kurt, are you agreement or disagreement on all this, or what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, that this has, um, I think, been my mantra for most of my time in the military where, um, recognize that there is a level of ease that comes with these modern conveniences. Um, but understanding that that can easily be used as a crutch moving forward. So you have to force yourself and force your team and your guys that you're responsible for into those uncomfortable situations so that when those do inevitably, inevitably happen, uh, you're, just as prepared for them. And, and this is why throughout my, my time, I, I very much focused on the field craft part of, of our mission set. I very much um, maintained a proficiency with the, the core skills, the the survival skills, the land navigation, um, so that those tools weren't lost. So that when we, when our GPS did shit the bed, or if we are in a comms denied area or a GPS denied area, um, we, we weren't, less capable because we've already been training for that. So I always forced myself into those situations. Um, even, even in hobbies, I would, you know, spend time out in the woods when I was here, back here, uh, at home, I'd practice field craft skills and, you know, wilderness self-reliance I'd do primitive fire making all, all of these things just to kind of hone that blade so that when you did need it, it was you were ready for it.
2: So yeah, it, Kurt's a rare animal, just know that. And uh, I've, I've known him for a good bunch of years now. And that that's not a, the case across the board in the, in the operators today. Uh, that's probably why he was as good as he was. And he also is a recce guy. Those are some of the tools that they need. Your, your normal day-to-day operator, It's all the, it's individual based, whether you're that dedicated like he was or whether you just rely on the ease of modern technology. And the, the, I guess the point, just to clarify, that I'm trying to make is when the technology didn't exist and you had to always be, you know, a lion out there and execute, the guys that didn't cut it went away. Whereas nowadays, there are guys that exist in the community uh, that that wouldn't have made it back in the day because they can't hide behind the technology. Um, it's, just, it's just something you see that surprises me. It's one of the reasons I was able to... Uh, sit with younger guys. And I think I think the most important thing you can ever do when you become a senior guy and your Sergeant Major friend did this with you is mentorship. Um, take the guys that you see they're relying on the tools too easily and remind them of the core skills. Uh, I used to go speak uh, the unit I was liaison at uh, when they would start their cycle of their young operators going through an intense cycle. I would go do a very early speech to them and I would start it off with uh, basically asking who was the youngest and oldest guy in the room. And my point I would make to them is that I would say, look, you know, I, I'm I'm 58 years old now. Uh, I'd say there's nobody in this room that's not smarter than me. Granted, I'll admit it, but there's not a single guy in this room that's harder than me. It's just a different culture. Gotcha. You know?
0: Well, so with that culture and, and knowing that, where does that intertwine or intermix with what you're doing Now, I mean, I I obviously know because of same thing, my background in in hunting and knowing like, okay, um, where certain designs, where certain technology, I mean, obviously I'm not going to say like, hey. I just want to go all merino wool and have a 90 pound top when it rains, but that, you know, where those intersect together with all your experiences and then now integrating that in the, in the designs with, with born primitive and and maybe the mindset of the, that culture. um, How is that on my end, I would much prefer somebody with field experience than a college degree. And please don't send me hate mail over this, but It's cool that you have a four-year degree in design. That's hugely important. We all need that. Um, You know, it's it's part of it. You have to have that piece of it. But if you don't have the field experience, whether that be hunting or tactical, you are not going to execute or produce the best product you can. How is that gone? As well as um, (laughs) diving into this, actually, straight from military to doing what you're doing now. Has it been one of those things where you're pounding your head against the wall, wondering why can't we do this from your culture you just left? Or is it smoother as far as these designs and executing what you want to do? That's a question for obviously both of you guys.
2: Yeah, I'll say on the tactical side, uh, you have to first, when you get into the company here at Born Primitive, learn who's, who's who and who the players are. And the thing that's nice for me is I'm exactly what you said. I'm the guy with the operational experience. That, know, that knows what I like in the end state product, knows what I didn't like in what existed out there. And my vision was to take a product that fixes all the things I didn't like and gives me a different level of performance. And what I have to do then is I integrate with the people here that know how to make that happen. Uh, for example, our our actual clothing designer that makes the tech packs that goes to our manufacturer. Um, and some of the other instrumental people here at Born Primitive, uh, you take and you translate to them what you're looking for and they take it and turn it into the magic. Uh, to be honest with you, when I tell them what I want, sometimes I'm, I'm giving them a vision and then it comes back as a sample. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I meant. Um, one of the things that Kurt and I both kind of changed here in the culture of Born Primitive the athletic performance side the base of the business is that we are taking our samples for example with you you know you get the samples sent and you take them out and you hunt in them i'm doing the same thing i'm taking the samples that i get i'm running around and and then i'm sending them to my ambassadors that are jumping them in arizona taking them overseas uh you know doing uh, swat training with them and getting the no kidding feedback before we go into manufacturing to make sure we're making the best product we can The biggest transition i wanted to make on the tactical side was i wanted to make something that was a more of the dna of this company that maintained that athletic performance capability that the fabric wasn't binding that it let me be a full range athlete slash operator and that's what we've done here and that's what we're really excited about because it doesn't exist in our community yeah man
1: i'm uh, pretty much i can echo everything that bruno just said it's just what, what we've learned in the military is being able to kind of open yourself up to other people's expertises and using that knowledge collectively to collaborate on things, to build something. So what Born Primitive does, does really well is very functional apparel. So how do we take the knowledge and the expertise that they have building workout gear and apply that to the backcountry hunting scene? How do we take that knowledge that they currently have and apply that to tactical apparel? Um, and then using what we learned in the military with our research and development, with our testing and evaluation, building a process of, of how we do a proper t and um, getting feedback from guys like you, um, getting feedback from from Wally and Luke and all these other you know key stakeholders within our kind of, close network of people, um, getting samples in. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this product is, is kind of misses the mark a little bit, but Hey, um, let's just test the fabric. So I'll send it to you. I'll send it to a bunch of other people. You'll wear it for a while. Give me feedback. We'll make adjustments. Um, it's just going through that whole process and and getting everybody involved in it so that one, everybody has a stake in it and then they can, they can feel connected to that product and they, they can have, um, some heart in it so that they know that they're building something that people are going to take out and potentially um could save their life like you we're talking about this this rain gear that we're developing the last thing you want to do when you're building a piece of kit like that is have it fail on somebody who's four days into you know a torrential downpour up in bc and, and their shit starts leaking like that can't happen so how do you mitigate that is a lengthy proper test and evaluation process and i think that's what the military really drilled in us is having having superior gear to to lean on when you find yourself in those shitty situations and then when it does fail you know sometimes that happens like your shit gets eaten by a grizzly bear <laughs> that um happens. And yeah, it does happen you just gotta <laughs> suck it up so <laughs> on top of having good gear you have to train mentally you have to train physically you have to be prepared with your core skill set. So like it, it it all is like symbiotic. It all links together. So it's not just one thing. Don't don't just look at gear and say, okay, this is going to make me a better archer. This is going to make me a better hunter or a better operator. Like you have to train everything in all aspects of your life. You have to get reps where you can um every day. Try to make yourself a better person every day.
2: Yeah there's also the the one thing we're not talking about here, the experience. Um One of the things I learned a long time ago as a military leader is uh, your plan's not the only plan. Uh, You've gotta make a plan. And when everybody smacks the table and says, this is it, you roll on that plan. But in like our clothing design, uh, I had some visions and ideas that were put into a product perfectly. And then when we tested it, I had two or three very senior operators come back to me with the same comments on a design and I can't fall in love with my product and be, no, that's the way I want it. I'm having guys that are in the business tell me, if you make this tweak, it's gonna be better. And I make that tweak and it comes back in another sample and guess what, I like it better. So that's one of the things that, uh, you know, adapting to letting, letting people try your idea, getting it out there, putting it through the grind. And it's, it's for the tactical side, uh, not only are we taking it in the environment, in the tactical environment, but I'm taking it in the gym Uh, I'm taking it everywhere I can. I'm wearing it in the office because I want to get that duration. Like, how does it hold up through everything? Because guys could be working out in it before they go hit a door and do a warrant or something like that. So it's been a process for us. Um, The other side of it uh, is is my last uh, seven or eight years. I ran an urban training program and became very, very close with uh, most of the larger metropolitan SWAT teams. So I've sent some of those guys some stuff and been like, try it out. What do you see and get their aspect of it? Because their mission is uniquely different from the military. And they came back with some great ideas. And the military guys are like, yeah, that'll still work in our cut. And that gets put into the process. So, you know, Kurt mentioned a, a lengthy t and um, That was something that we really didn't have in place when we first came here that we brought and uh, so if, if I'm designing something I'll, I'll give you an example, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, we have a lot of female operators out there in the federal law enforcement, and municipal and all that stuff. Uh, we're designing a complete ladies line because there's a large demand for it. Well, that's not coming out till summer of next year because guess what? It takes me a lot more to get that tested because I don't, I don't possess that capability and none of my ambassadors currently, I will eventually find the right one are female. So I'm finding the right people and testing it and it's a longer process.
0: Yeah. And as far as like on the, the T and E process and, um, well, I, not just the T and E, but maybe on the, on the hunting side, thinking outside of the the box. And I, I guess I'll rewind even farther than that. In the beginning of this, I did not, I am not a big fan of, of camo. And when I say that, I don't think everybody should run out in blue and neon green, but I, I'm a, I'm a neutral earth tone kind of a guy. And I've, I've, been in enough hunting situations um, that I, I just don't see that it it really matters that much and the 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 dollar is uh, even more important today than it has been in quite some time and so when you buy camo you not most people are probably not going to wear that to dinner or to the grocery store depending upon where you live as I say that in Wyoming doesn't really matter but you get the idea multi-use, clothing is better in solid colors. So I can go walk my dog. I can go shoot an archery course. I can go hunting with it and then I can run to the store and I'm not top to bottom wearing camo to a 3d course or whatever. So I wanted neutral colors, but I also wanted it to look good. Um, and when I say that a lot of times you get the homie, the clown look on some of the more fitted, like I, I, I wanted to be able to go do squats and deadlifts at the gym. Cause I do work out if I'm going to work or I'm, I, I work out in my boots and normal pants. I'm not always wearing gym clothing. Um, but I wanted it to be functional and be able to do just about anything you could do, but not just to fit in, in the function, the look of it as well, which we are doing. Beyond that, one of the things when I was talking about thinking outside of the box, um, that op top, a lot of people put things in a box and that, it stays in that box. Like we have a frame called a tactical frame. That's just what we called it. It's not just for dudes kicking down doors. We just called it the tactical frame, but we lose sales on that because of how we, we call it a tactical frame. So people don't look at it. So like that op top, you know, for example, that as you know, I wear that top on just about every hunt and we're gonna have to just sell the same top and call it a hunting top because it's it's other than the velcro patch, which I can put shit talking little morale patches on there. It is very functional for hunting because it dries extremely quick, and the uh, the the arms are reinforced with a different material for busting brush. Well, I, I Bruno, you had brought it up to me. Let's talk about that on that that you know crossing between the two. But there is a lot of similarities. Like I probably don't need. A, a pocket in my calf area for hunting other than maybe to put Copenhagen, but some guys might put elk calls in there. What You know what I mean? Like there's always room looking outside of the, or, or thinking outside of the box as far as what you're needing and what you're using. When Kurt, when we first started talking, you're big on wool, like really big on wool.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Okay. I, I, do not wear more than a base layer in Merino because it's heavy and I did that shit a long time ago and I don't want to fucking carry it. Um, now, as I say that when the world ends, I might choose wool. Uh, you know, when you're looking at, um, whatever that movie was with Denzel Washington and, uh, you know, I'm traveling the world with, you know, trying to not die. The, the wool portion of, of this is, it's it's extremely functional. It's very durable, but it's fucking heavy. And it's really heavy when it's wet takes forever for it to dry so trying to find that happy medium with each design um can be difficult because would you if it was your choice right now would you design more wool or would you have more wool in the in the line
1: Uh, i think it, it would be and again like for myself yes but there there should only be like select pieces that it makes sense to have. So it it wouldn't obviously be everything, but base layers are very good uh, place to start. Which we have those merino poly blend base layers, um, which operate really well. I'm actually um, just starting the the development process on a different kind of base layer that incorporates uh, merino wool, like kind of in a mesh uh, base layer, similar to what you see a lot in a lot of Norwegian. Uh, Nordic countries uh for extreme cold weather. Um uh, but it's great for, you know, moving out when you when you got to put a ruck on and just cover distance. So that I think will have a good crossover not just in the backcountry hunting application but for, for tactical as well. Um wool is also great because as you spend a lot of time in the field and you start to sweat and you don't shower, you're going to stink. Um it's going to naturally not hold on to that that, uh, that smell, it's going to be antimicrobial. Uh, it's kind of dampens its own sound. So it's great to have as a stalking top. If you have wool pants, um, and you're stalking an animal, like it's going to dampen its own sound. This is a reason why we take off our boots and just wear wool socks to, to walk, to get close to an animal. So, um, not saying that synthetics can't do that, but uh, wool also has other properties that are highly beneficial, like maintaining its thermal va- insulating value even when wet. Yeah, it does get extremely heavy. But these are these are all trade-offs. It's like, would you rather um have a piece of kit that is gonna keep you warm when it's wet and cold? Uh or have a synthetic layer that's gonna dry out really fast when you're wet and cold. But it's probably not gonna dry out until you get it near a fire. So um it's, it's trade-offs with everything. Um, you just got to make the best educated decision. That's, and that's the big piece is just stay educated. Um, I want to have the ability to have options for all of those types of hunters out there. Some, some guys are, are good with not, um, not having any heavy piece of kit and they want to go ultra light, which is, which is cool. Let's like, let, let's get some options for those guys. Um, uh, there's more traditional dudes who like, uh, the more natural materials, um, because of the value that those bring, so let's let's give that option in there as well.
0: So, so the the reason why I'm bringing this up is uh, some of this is marketing. So I'm a huge fan of an anorak. I like a longer top. That is not what the cool kids wear nowadays. They just don't. Um, yep. I I had one made from Swazi that you'd about to get made fun of that I had a skirt on. And anytime I'm in a honey camp and somebody wears an anorak, there's always some kind of a skirt joke. But I think it's one of the like um, tomorrow, if you guys ask me, what what Aaron, what do you want? I want an Anorak. Um, that's Good. a huge thing for me. But then you have to market it, right? You have to have cool kids market it. You have to really focus and like, hey, everyone, this is why this is important. And when I say that, wool is another one to where as much as I never use wool backpack hunting a heavier piece, When I'm by the truck, I will throw that on every time, explaining that because not everybody has the experience, explaining where something fits in and why it fits in and then making that business decision of, hey, when we're going through the triage of what's coming out first, why, why are we skipping this piece and doing this one? Some of it is just straight up monetarily one decision is one piece of clothing and one piece of kit is going to be purchased more than another. And so something that may be important to Kurt, if it's not part of the cool kids club, maybe bottom tier or in the, or same thing with what you were talking about, Bruno, what, where, where as you're sending it out for T and E and testing and also getting outside of your own mind of like, I get all this shit free. Cause I work for Kafaro and work for born primitive. I don't pay for anything. So how important is what I want? if what everybody else wants may be may be different and so looking at this as you guys are kind of weeding your way through all of this stuff what would you say that three things in the tackle line and three things in a hunting line that you you two would want immediately tomorrow if we could just shit out the perfect product what would you what what were the three things you each each of you would want that's
2: easy for me. And, and one thing I'd like to preface it with is one thing that Kurt and I have done, uh, and, and it's the perfect uh, marriage of for the business owner, we sit side by side, we collaborate on everything. And instead of me going one direction, and him going another, and this will be something we'll talk about more today, I'm sure. But the crossover between hunting and tactical, if people don't see it, it's huge. The need for some similar items and equipment, the, the need for actually even the scope of what you're actually doing out in the field. But what Kurt does is develop a lot of really cool products for outdoor for future testing. And I look at every one of them and how does that apply to tactical. Um, there's things that he has in development that I was thinking of doing a 2024, 20, 2025 release that he's already working on. And my Concept there is as well. Can what colors are you going to put it in? Can it match up? Uh, and and can we just put this together? Uh, one of the I think genius things we're doing. Uh, our website for tactical. Our website for outdoor. When you go to the website, all the tactical products are here. All the outdoor products are right below it. When you go to the outdoor site, all the outdoor products are here. All the tactical site. So our consumer, our hunter, our uh, operator we'll be able to look at both products because they both work. They both fit somewhere in the mission. So we're kind of developing a few things together. Uh, for me, the, the biggest thing, and this is uh, it, it's a road that doesn't exist right now and I'm gonna get it there. Uh, the ops uniform that we have, that uh, we are marketing is, is insane next generation. If I could get this same stretchy fabric, op top, op pants, in a fire resistant, fire retardant capability and have that tomorrow, that would be my dream. Um, I don't want the abrasive itchiness that comes with a lot of the fire retardant material. And I still want the four way stretch and everything that's retained in this. And uh, I'm actually working with a textile company here that is an American company. It would be an American made product. It's not gonna be a cheap product. It's gonna be like the rain gear you're developing but that is gonna open up a new game for operators, especially guys that are, you know, explosive breachers, things like that, that want that capability. Uh, If I can get to that level, I think I'm gonna have the game changer uniform. And that's that's my goal right now is to go from where I am to that next leap. Uh, And that would be the, we call it the full operator set. That's a long sleeve and a short sleeve op top. That's the op pants. And then of course, a range shirt for when they're just on the range. That four piece set, that's my dream set.
1: Uh, All right, for outdoor, and this is like, I constantly work my brain in overtime uh, thinking of new products to develop. So I'm already like thinking about 2025, 2026, like what products um, that we're missing that we need to to start development process on right now. Um, Something that we have coming out next year that if we could just pull the trigger and, and have it here right now for everybody is definitely the rain gear um but obviously we're we're doing a proper t e to make sure that this isn't and good and before we come out with it just but just so everybody knows gonna be the big one
0: the rain gear is a four-way stretch rain gear and 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 that's coming we're just testing it so don't count the rain gear because we're already working on that something that's not coming with so, three things
1: uh okay okay
0: um I totally so yeah you. now you gotta do come thing on up the with
1: list that. uh because aaron snyder is my my mentor is the uh fleece arctic anorak (laughs) 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 that is non-wool and uh and this is i'm not gonna let like some of my personal judgments cloud uh my decision making i'm gonna you know take feedback from you and everybody else like i have the lester river bushcraft wool anorak i've got the the weather wool uh anorak um like i i love these products and i use them Um, but I understand they're heavy. Not a lot of people are going to, you know, buy them. Maybe the marketability is not there. Maybe they're not
0: going to move. So it's like, hold on one sec. I don't, not what you think Born Primitive should have, what you would want. So base it off what you want. So don't, uh, don't go off of what's best for the business. Oh, shit. What would Kurt Gamache come out with? Three pieces for next year. Uh,
1: okay. So then I would, I would go with a, a functional wool pant, like outerwear, that would be multifunctional, usable. It's got uh, hip, hip zip vents, like reinforcements where they need to be, uh, no restriction in movement when you're down, you know, low crawling uh, and stalking. Something that is going to be ultra comfortable um, maintaining those properties of wool, but also functional in the field to where, you know, they're going to be quiet as fuck. Um, that that would be, a number one piece there. That for the top, I gotta go with like a a wool sweater, some sort of just like pullover. Um, there's a lot of good products out there that I've gotten at uh, thrift sh- thrift shops and uh, and, and purchased uh, online that are are pretty exceptional and they're not they're not too uh, too cumbersome and they they provide the same sort of uh, functionality. Um, reducing your odor um the quiet so and then the next one honestly i think gloves would be the next one that i would want to work on We're, we're missing that that piece of kit i know what this is you said just for me but um i'd like to see some some really good like functional gloves like if you see a lot of the the stuff that i'm doing now and this is of course it's another piece of wool kit but I have these like rag wool fingerless gloves that I wear all the time. They're just, they're just amazing. Um, we were out there in South Dakota. I was wearing them all the time. Uh, I got pretty damn cold in the thirties, but those things are, are great because uh, keep your hands warm. You, even when you're glassing and everything, just sitting up on the Hill, uh, letting the wind beat down at you. But um, yeah, so I guess um, every single thing that I just mentioned involved wool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the only reason why I bring this up is, uh, and this is, it's not. Uh, I'm doing a broadhead review right now, and uh, the same thing with the broadhead review. Sometimes what may be what everybody wants wouldn't technically win the review. And when I say that, right now on whether it be prepper, doomsday, or tactical, if I had to pick one stove for the rest of the world, it will be a multi-fuel MSR International or uh, Primus Omni-Light Titanium multi-fuel stove. The kind that as a kid that I remember that smell of like white gas and I will never pack that motherfucker ever backpack, honey, ever. I will never carry that son of a bitch. It's too heavy. It stinks. There's fuel everywhere. Fuel
1: bottles leak. Yeah, it's annoying.
0: But if you asked me today, Aaron, what's one stove you're going to use the rest of your life? It's that stove. And this is why I'm asking these questions is, well, how can that be? You just said you'll never use it. Well, that's a big fucking difference because if I have to pick one where no matter where I travel, I can pump diesel in the fuel bottle, I can use kerosene, I can use anything. But when I go to backpack hunting, yeah, fuck that, it's heavy. I don't want to carry that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to carry the lightest option. That same thing happens. I can't speak for tactical, but that same thing happens for hunting to where, what you may want meaning like a wool pullover i agree with you 100 percent because they last forever they are uh, they you know it's almost like a um a tradition thing i don't know how i would word that i guess but i'm not carrying that shit into the backcountry. but i think there's a place and space for that in a line but it may not be what i take on a backpack hunt but what we did in south dakota i'd wear it every day um, mm-hmm. so there's space for it. And Bruno, you're laughing over there. What are you, what are you thinking?
2: <laughs> no, I, I I'm, I'm just laughing because it, it translates right over to tactical. Um, it might be an equipment issue difference, but I'll tell you, uh, my first generation of plates in the eighties were ceramic plates that the plates alone weighed like
0: 62 pounds and they were full wrap plates. <laughs> that is why Bruno's his um, size.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the evolution of plates to where we are today, and you just look at every piece of the equipment. Um, you look at what guys were wearing when 9/11 kicked off and what guys are going downrange with now, how sleek the loadout is compared to how cumbersome we were at first. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things that as you learn, yeah, I'll give you an example. Uh, we just did this uh, content shoot to for tactical. And uh, I was doing a scenario where I had to get off a helicopter and go up a ridge line and was taking a long shot with a 50 cal uh, Dillon Precision Rifle. And I wanted a backpack for that. And I wanted something internal frame that I could load and fit what we were doing and all that. And uh, you guys sent me, uh, it was actually called the Shape Charge Kafaro Backpack. I'm in love with that backpack now. I've, I've told like 50 people, like, this is the you know, perfect, intermediate. I'm not going out for a week. I'm going out, but I need a backpack. Uh, and, and it's it's amazing. It translates right over. So this is a hunting line backpack that works perfect in the tactical world. And I loved it. And now guys are, guys are like, I've never heard of this company. And now it's going like wildfire. So when you look at whether it's clothing or something else, there's, a, again, a lot of crossover. But I look at the evolution of, not just clothing, but equipment on the tactical side. And it never stops. And I think that's because it's uh, such a competitive business right now. Somebody's
0: always trying to build a better mousetrap. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes the better mousetrap, and keep in mind, I test gear for a living on the outdoor side. So I've been trying a lot of mousetraps with stoves, for example. And I always go back to one that's been out since probably 2000. Eight, I think it's an MSR reactor stove. It's what I, you know, and, but that, you know, there, there's why, while, while you're testing sometimes at the end of a year of testing something that goes back on the shelf and you grab your, your old mousetrap faithful. Yeah. Yeah. You know it. you're comfortable with it. And it's hard with clothing. I say clothing. It's hard with everything in the industry. Cause if you're not coming out with new products, you're going backwards And in the bow company, bow companies, prime example, Every year, there's an entire brand new bow line. They have to do it. And, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of mental gymnastics of 17% quieter or whatever, and most of it's bullshit. Um, but as a guy like me, I have to shoot a new bow every year because that's what they're selling. But with clothing, what I'm hoping we can do is not come out. Well, I say, hope oh, we're not going to do that. I don't want to come out with shit just to come out with it. it needs to be very functional. And we may add new colors, we may, you know, do some lateral transitions or or maybe just small add-ons. But what I hate is when somebody buys, you know, something, um, gear wise and three months later, something else comes out in the mindset of most people now where I have to have the newest, the newest isn't always the best. Now it may be the best for Bruno, but I may, you know, not like it. It really depends on what each person's doing. Um, Get, getting off of that subject a, a little bit, um, uh, when 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 you're looking at um, with what you're doing, and this is, as we look at all of us, Kurt and I are about the same size. Bruno, you're a monster. Bear is not exactly shaped like a normal human. Sizing, while we're talking about all this, a little bit off subject. Sizing things with Bear was comical because he's not... Built like a normal human for the most part. And Bruno, you're not either. Sizing was something that we worked on and we're still perfecting and we're about there. How many, I mean, Bruno, how big are you? Height,
2: weight, I mean, I'm 6'1, 240. Um, I mean, if you probably put my upper body on Bear's lower body, you'd have somebody that you could, you know, put on any event in the world. Yeah. The <laughs> way, way we're both built. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these, uh, I grew up playing, uh, you know, five, a football in South Florida in high school, and I've been an athlete my whole life. Uh, and that's, that's what I've been. I'm an athlete. I've competed in a lot of different things. I spent the majority of my youth doing endurance events, but it's just a product of being in the gym for 45 years, that nutritional, everything else, the body is just, it is what it is. Uh, you know, my youngest son is at, at his present age, 30 years old, he is uh, bigger than I was at 30, but he can't understand why he's not as big as I am now. And I'm like, watch how you look when you're my age if you stay at it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the longevity game. You know, it's staying in the game. Uh, and that's something I've never done. I've never taken a break. In fact, uh, my my pet peeve in the world is fat operators. Uh, you won't work for me. You you won't go on a mission with me. I just, I don't tolerate it. You know, we, we are, we are a type A tier one
0: type uh, mentality. And if you don't respect it, you're not with me. So, uh, Kurt and I are about the same size. I think, Kurt, what do you, what do you, no, I'm a little bigger than you. No way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm six
1: one, uh, sitting about 220 225
0: Yeah. We're about, about I- identical. When we did the sizing before you two started, I don't know how, big bear's legs are, but they have to be pretty damn big because I'm not exactly, a, I mean, I I would like to think I have fairly large legs and he would send and be like, man, they're a little tight. And I'm like, we were like fucking MC hammer. Like we can't, we can't yeah. make them bigger, right? We, it And so that was something that, that, uh, and it was, it didn't become, it wasn't an, an issue, but it's like, okay, like my calf muscles are not normal size, right? They're just, so when we the i can't get the the pants hardly over my calves well bear's calves aren't as big as mine but his quads are bigger and so i'm thinking by the time we're said and done if we made the calves of the pants what i want and the quads of what bear wants you are going to look like homie the clown it's just not going to work so trying to um execute on a product <laughs> that fits everyone it is a pain in the ass. And so, like, mm-hmm. with, with what we're doing now, obviously, Bruno, you are not a normal human. I would say Kurt and I are a little bit closer to normal and still maybe on the bigger side. Leaving my views out of this and what I already know, how much of a pain in, that is that, pain in the ass has that been for you guys, both on the hunting and tackle side?
1: I'll kick it off. I think for, for me, and this is what we were talking about earlier, where we're talking a lot of the crossover from what we have on the tactical barrel side, is directly applicable to what we can do in the hunting side and you talked about the op top um what we have on basically every single piece of of operator pants that w- is that waist adjustment system uh it's so- something that we didn't have on the outdoor pant at least this first iteration of the frontier pants uh and then after talking to you back in august you were up in bc for like fucking 45 days or something and you were like hey I, you know i went out there and i was a size 36 waist and then i came back uh and i was like a 34 and the pants were falling off they were uncomfortable it's like okay well let's why don't we just add these waist adjustment straps to the pant to the new iteration of the frontier pant? so it's like make identifying some of those shortfalls and, and understanding that there's gonna be guys who are spending uh, or gals who are spending you know 30 days out in the field um in the backcountry who is going to, are going to have the same issue or maybe people who are in between sizes and, you know, because of, of cost, it's like, it, it's not, you can't get those half sizes or those odd sizes. Um, so that kind of just like helps everybody out across the board. So like, let's, why not implement something like this? Uh, when, with regard to sizing specifically,
0: I'm a, I'm a winter medium and a summer small. I, I generally, I'm somewhere between, well, we'll get on the subject of fitness and, uh, other things here in a little bit, but about 2018, I was somewhat dwindling away. My test levels were really low and I was down on the 190s. I'm generally a 220 to 230 guy. Like I'll try like this this winter. Um, like I talked with you, I'm gonna try to get big as shit. And uh just boredom, right? It snows a lot, it's cold, so I'm gonna try to get up to 240. But by the time when I hit August, I'm dwindling back to 220 easily by November because my caloric intake's just not enough. And so I had to call Kurt, like, Kurt, you gotta send me a bunch of 34s. Like, I I mean, shit's falling off me. So I mean that that makes total, you know, sense. But I, I think that um having the wherewithal or the the foresight to put that in a design which is something I've never really liked or messed with those because I haven't found a good one a waist adjustment. The reason why I worry about them is carrying a heavy load depending upon where your pants it's more uh can be cumbersome where that will push the pant or the belt into your hip bones and could cause bleeding depending upon where that adjustment is. I tried some from 511 tactical that had that I was not a fan of how they did it. It wasn't as functional as I would like, but again, looking at the consumer and and trying to get where they have the best bang for the buck this is is huge because shit's expensive nowadays no matter even cheap shit's expensive nowadays
1: right yeah and i had these out was it 2 weeks ago when we were out in south dakota um tne those those pants out there they they're on the current op pants are uh, they the ones that are coming out tomorrow wow. the assault pants uh, I even hunted with those out there um, they also have it so I was I was making sure that um, that that issue that you're specifically referring to is not something that is going to con- concern people uh, another thing is like and you're gonna have this if you max that thing out and you see that the, the waist kind of like folds in over itself um, it's gonna have that extra layer of fabric that's gonna like bunch up um, that is that is a concern um, so it's like trying to figure try identifying that and then like how, how can we combat that like yeah or, or that's going to be an issue so what can we do to mitigate that
2: well one of the things we did in the design we actually moved on the opposite pant we actually moved the waist adjuster three times um and, and it was based on where it fit on the body knowing that on the tactical side most of the guys are wearing a tactical belt something like a sub-second or something like that
0: um the, the big thing for me was hold on one one ease of getting to Bruno, I I got to be honest ninety nine percent of the world's not going to know what you just said what is a sub second <laughs> so uh, you're we, talking to hunters on the
2: tactical yeah. side yep yeah, so for on the tactical side we wear a dual belt system um, basically you'll have something that will go through the belt loops that is your if you would think is a traditional belt. And it hooks and it's got a outer layer of Velcro on it. Uh it's the female layer, so it's soft. Um, when you get ready to kit up and jock up, you'll put a second-level belt that goes on over it, has a hard clip, it's got uh things for if you're going to be uh hooking into an aircraft, fast roping, whatever. But that is what all your gear rides on. So that's where your holster is, that's where your bailout packs, that's where your you know, flashbang pouches are that's where every uh, accessory you would wear on the waistline is on that belt. So when you don't want the accessories anymore, you can pop the outer belt comes off the Velcro and you still have a belt on the trousers. That's that's functioning as a traditional belt. Uh, it's, it's something that came, probably came into the community about, uh, seven, eight years ago. And, uh, th- there's a bunch of manufacturers out there. The reason I read the Subsecond is a manufacturer. It's one we work with. Uh, we like it. It's a former special forces guy that makes it, and it's because of the width and the material. It's wide enough to where it doesn't. It's not too wide where it doesn't bite into you, and it is wide enough where it disperses the load. Where some of them are a little too narrow, so it's a, it's it's a game changer for people that are trying to wear equipment uh, on the hips, and, and for anybody that's trying to get a better reference of it. If I didn't describe it better, you can just look at the. Born Primitive Tactical Instagram, and almost every one of our tactical pictures of guys wearing one of those belts.
1: And I'll, I'll simplify. Think of a uh, Kefaro Rogan belt that Velcros to a belt that's already through your belt loops.
0: Gotcha. So one of the things as we're talking about all this, which you can tell, and I don't mean this like disrespectfully because it's it's just, uh, Kurt has fucking everything attached to him on a very simple stock. Like he is ready or anything. So when I say that, Kurt, you had we're running a kafaru system, you had a hydro harness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, belt harness yeah. A, a you had a knife and a leatherman and sh- shit everywhere. Yeah. I yep. go basically naked, right? I don't wear shit on 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 the the stock. And when I say that, I have a bino harness, I always have a few things on me, way to start a fire, a way to get water, but after that um, I don't, I don't wear all of those things now, whether that in, in five years of hunting will trim down for, for, for Kurt, who, you know, who knows, but you know, on, on my end, like I don't, um, from, from my experience, there's certain times where there are certain things that I do. Let's say we're on a backpack hunt and I'm 12 miles in on a mule deer hunt and I go in on a, a stock and that stock could take me, it could be a mile and a half and anywhere from one to five hours to get on top of that animal. I do not bring my big pack with me that stays. Whether I'm solo or not changes a little bit, but I will usually take um, like a, well, a big orange panel. There's a name for them in the military, but an orange panel, and I'll I'll shoot an azimuth to uh, the deer. I'll take my back azimuth. I'll put that panel there. I do a few other things, but then that way I know – pretty much right on. I'm coming on top of that deer because you can get lost as fuck on a stalk and, and everything looks different when you get over there. But when I leave, yeah. I'm leaving and I need to have at least enough to where if I get pinned down or, or I put the animal on the ground, I can do a little bit to take care of the animal. And if I had to, I can build a fire, things like that. Kurt, knowing what I know from you now, you are going to have at least five times more shit on you than I would when I leave to go on that stock. Not that's not right or wrong. That's just from my experience, the clothing side of that is the same thing. Like a lot of times when you leave, you may want enough to have rain, a rain top and bottom with you. You may say, okay, my, my field craft, Is at a high enough level, I'm not worried about it because my skill set is not going to put, I have a high enough skill set to where I'm not going to be put in danger by the amount of shit I'm leaving behind. The the clothing side of this, and I'm getting off of that, is basically if I'm leaving and my clothing is subpar um, and my layering system is subpar, you can get yourself into trouble fairly quick. Cotton is a good example um, of that. Uh, more than maybe just a T-shirt, uh, and and what it all boils down to is each person's experience, their level of of comfort with what they have, their laziness. And when I say that, that is me. I am tired of carrying shit on a stock. I don't carry anything that I, I don't want to. I don't want to have the, the the load. And some of the people in your um, uh, with on the tackle side, I've talked with as far as like you know who's carrying. A pistol for their, you know uh, what am I trying to say? How am I put this? Everybody's outlook on this is different with the amount of shit that they want to carry. Um, Kurt, you have a obviously a huge military background but also a big survival background. So Bruno, you have obviously a, a a huge tactical background, but you haven't went hunting. If you put the three of us on a mountain behind a spotting scope and we're looking at goats, sheep, or mule deer, and we're going in on a stock, we're going to be a lot different on what we, what we wear. Bruno, how much have you hunted? Not people, how mean animals, deer, four-legged animals?
2: Uh, I've dropped a 1100 pound elk up in Idaho, pretty good shot in the snow, uh, a couple deer and a shitload of hogs. And that's about my experience. Um, most of, most of my hunting was done much earlier. Uh, my, when I retired from active duty, a uh, bucket list item was to go on a legit elk hunt. So I did that and uh, that, was, that was pretty good. But uh, one of the things I'd like to jump on, and again, just crossing tactical with outdoor, um, what you described is basically what special forces coming out of Vietnam uh, made as the perfect template for patrolling. You would go into your objective rally point. It's the last piece of cover and concealment prior to hitting a target. You would drop rucks, you would pull out mission-specific equipment, and then you would roll on the target. I mean, you're doing the exact same thing, only you're going on a stalk for an animal. So, again, there's that same crossover. The irony of it is, and this is something that uh, the modern operators have gotten away because they're allowed this freedom of movement. Uh, in, In my day, we used to have a thing that was always described of uniform and equipment common to all. And that uniform and equipment common to all meant you did not leave the ORP without this piece of equipment on you, uh, and that was something we always rolled with. You always knew a guy had this. Now there's some of that exists today, like guys are always going to have a med pack with a tourniquet and stuff like that in the tactical world, but there, there's so much of a variety of what guys are carrying nowadays that it there is not the okay. I don't have mine anymore. I know this guy's got one, etc. But the piece of moving in on that last uh, piece of terrain into your animal or your target. Uh, I've always been the guy that I tailor for the mission. When I hit that ORP, or in your case, where you're gonna drop your ruck, put your VS-17, your orange panel up, um, I'm I'm tailored to the mission, and uh, I have what I need for any contingency that develops on that mission, but the bulk of what I need for the long distance patrol stays there. Get lighter, get more agile.
0: Go ahead, Kurt uh, we're going to call him the prepper.
1: I guess, I I mean, I I can, I can obviously (laughs) talk about this subject for an extended period of time. I know we've already been on for an hour, but if we're talking about South Dakota specifically, yeah, all of that military training and knowledge I'm taking into the field just in a different application. So whether I'm hunting deer or bear or, you know, whatever, uh, I'm going to approach it with the same mentality. You're talking about, having all that kid on me for when I'm doing a stalk. Absolutely. My, my thought process going into that is I need to have everything on my person that will be able to sustain my life if I have to spend an inconvenient night in the field or two inconvenient nights or whatever. So I have to be able to regulate my body's core temperature um, for that overnight stay should that happen should I get injured when I'm out on on you know a solo backcountry hunt or something like that. So I'm always going to have ways to start a fire, uh, I'm going to have cordage, I'm going to have these con- containers that I can use to, to boil or purify water, um, I'm going to have some sort of cover element, and these are all going back to um, the way what I base all of this on is the five and ten C's of survivability come from a guy named Dave Canterbury. Um, it's been around for a long time in the survival community. Uh, these are very simple processes that you can apply to going out in the field. You can apply to building a bug out bag or, or having stuff uh, in your house. It's, it's, all, it's all about having kit that's multifunctional that can sustain you for an uh, extended period of time. So I'm, I'm having, a, it's a minimalist kit. It's gonna fit in a Rogan belt or, or in a hydro harness, in my bino harness, it's all spread throughout, but this is always gonna go with me into the field um should I need to use it so like for rain gear like you said uh I'm not unless it's an extremely packable piece of kit um I I will opt not to bring the rain gear and I'll throw a poncho in because you can it's extremely packable you can fold it down it not only serves as rain gear but you can string it up and serve as a sunshade you can string it up and you're going to be makeshift tarp or you can use it as a uh, uh a shelter system so um I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of these pieces in my kit and take that with me. Now, like when we did the the one stalk on on the deer, we were like a hundred yards out. Understand that this stuff is cumbersome, um, and I'm trying to low crawl, belly crawl, you know, from a hundred yards out to get in in shooting range of this this animal um, that is getting caught on brush and 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 everything. So I'm I'm taking it off. I'm setting it down in a location. I'm marking that location both physically and on on my devices, so that I know where it is when I come back to, because it, it might be nighttime when I like have to come back to it. Um, and then I'm making that final approach, basically what he was saying with the ORP, dropping off essential kit at that ORP, making your final movement to target, which is my deer or whatever animal I'm going after, um, with the minimal amount of stuff, but still being able being having access to all that stuff that. I'm going to need. um, I'll just end it there. So I don't just keep going.
0: Well, no, I mean, I, like I said, I wanted to talk about BP for a while and then dive into both, obviously, Bruno being, as you can see, uh, big into fitness and nutrition and then Kurt as well. But, you know, the survival stuff, one of the things, and this is always comical when you have not comical, but when you have four or five guys on a hunt together whether that's backpack hunt or whatever you know there's going to be a guy like me that that says i'm not carrying that shit fuck if you want to carry it i'm not that's heavy or you know what i mean there's this certain things i don't carry anymore and th- whether that be in, an intelligent decision for everyone is really based on your skill set because I can get away with things because I may have like a higher level of field craft or woodsmanship, but might get someone else in trouble. It could just be a comfort blanket. I want this because it makes me feel better for me at this point in time. I look at things of, okay, the caloric burn of, of what I have on my body, meaning am I burning more calories by carrying this shit than it's worth to have survivability? Is it going to put me in a situation? I might die not having it. And, and I look at it like when I'm breaking these things down, when I go on a stock, as long as I can build a fire and get water, that's about the most important thing. I don't carry a blowout kit. I'm not worth a fuck as a medic anyway. And so like I can put, I can make a, I mean, if I had to do, oh, a splint, I can do that basically with bootlaces and some sticks. If I had to do a tourniquet, I can make one of those. So I don't pack a tourniquet. I know how to build a field expedient tourniquet isn't a problem. Um, I'm not again, a medic, so I have a limited amount of knowledge with that. And I, I run with what I've got, you know, obviously I'm not, this is just on the hunting side. I literally leave with a a Ziploc bag and some MSR aqua tabs and a way to build fire. If I need water, I fill up the Ziploc bag. I'll put an aqua tab in it and I'll drink out of that if I have to, that is the lightest way I can get water without just straight drinking it and getting Giardia. The clothing side of this and how I, you know, one of the things I'm talking about is paralleling it is wool compared to synthetic. I don't want to carry that shit. It's heavy. So I carry synthetic. Um, and then the also the fitness side of things, what level of fitness you're at. And and you guys can imagine when people go on backpack hunts, they it is literally like our government. They base the next war off the last one. So they're literally prepping for the next war off of their experience of the one they just had. Would you guys both agree with that for the most part? Yes, 100%. So if your first if Kurt goes with me and his his first trip, he carries too much shit. His next trip he goes with me, he's going to leave a ton of stuff out potentially because he got his ass whooped. <clears throat> well, maybe not Kurt, he's fit, but he got his ass whooped. So that next trip, maybe the first trip, the weather was great. Smooth sailing. Well, the next trip we go on, he's left a ton of shit out. Weather hits. Well, fuck. Now my third trip is going to be totally different. Where, like you guys, tactically, you do enough of those trips, you learn exactly what you need or what to add or take away from depending upon what weather's coming. And, and again, it's, it's, you keep talking about the crossover, what you guys would call an infill, how an infill, how far are we hiking? If we're going in three miles, I'll pack in whiskey. I don't give a shit. I'll carry Kurt in three miles. If we're going in 13 miles. Yeah. I'm not taking whiskey, right? I'm leaving some shit out. The other thing is altitude. If we're going in 13 miles in BC, I might get a migraine from too much altitude or too much oxygen. We go in in Colorado that, that it's, there's not much oxygen there. So all of those things are dependent upon what's going on. And uh, one of the things like Kurt, you went on a bear hunt uh, recently and I was like, he came on the podcast and he was wondering how we were going to talk for an hour. And he pretty much talked the entire time, which was awesome because of your experience. Kurt's a planner, right? I've learned that really quickly, the worst thing for a planner is like an elk to bugle when you shut the truck door because his plan just went to shit because the elk just bugled when you shut the truck door, you plan at a level. Well, talk about your planning. What are you looking at? If I said, Hey Kurt, like we're heading to Wyoming next year on a mule deer hunt. You are going to ask me multiple different questions and I can see now you're going to have 17 maps laid out. You're going to, I mean, talk about the level of planning you get into.
1: Yeah, it's just like the initial thoughts going through my head is like, um, okay, we, we know the type of animal. So now I'm going to start researching, you know, the habits of that animal in that environment. I'm going to want to know where we are going to hunt. So if it's public land, what unit is it? Uh, so now I can start doing a topographical analysis, either on my devices or on, on maps. I'm going to get a lay of the land. I'm going to, I'm going to learn about what kind of flora and fauna in that area. I'm going to learn what kind of trees, what kind of resources do I have. I'm going to identify where my water availability is so that I can plan my route, um, I plan kind of basically our campsite. Maybe we're going to have one, maybe we're going to be mobile um, so that we're near these uh, resources. Um, I'm going to learn where the trails are um, wind direction is a big one where the sun and moon rise and set because i don't want to be set up in an area that's you know constantly just um w- without sunlight um maybe you're gonna i'm gonna want to use those shadows to my advantage um i'm gonna need to know um kind of the, basically for basic, um like medical reasons the the closest uh, hospital, what, what our, our route would be to get there, what the, the life flight is. So like all of these kind of planning processes start going in my head initially. And then I just start laying it out and just, you know, it seems like a lot right now, but as you get used to doing this more often, you have this system that you go through and then you just start checking it off because right, you know, I got eight months, Aaron just said, we got eight months before this hunt happens. So I can just start slowly taking this stuff off every day, just work on one thing. Uh, until I feel very comfortable with that. Um, now we're going to have to identify what kind of weapon systems we're going to use. Are we using rifles, bow, whatever? Uh, and then going from there, I can really build off that basic knowledge right there. <laughs> I say basic, but you know, it's stuff that everybody should be thinking about a little bit. Um, I, can, I can prepare my gear for that environment, and then I just start training. If I know I'm going to be at 10,000 feet uh, that's pretty important because I'm I'm sitting here in Virginia Beach at sea level. So my training regimen is going to have to be considerably different from somebody like you, Aaron, maybe I don't know what year, six or eight thousand feet up there.
0: But my house in Colorado was at 10,000 feet. So oxygen was yeah, never. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, you're going to train different than than me. So um, all of that stuff factors into it. And I need to start building that plan so that when I get to that environment, I'm not at a deficit. I know, I still understand that. Um, you have those physiological responses to altitude sickness and things like that. So you, you need to understand that and plan for that as well. Like, okay, we, we got a seven day hunt, but maybe that first day, maybe that first day and a half, we're not doing any hunting, maybe just doing a little bit of glassing. Cause I'm, I'm going to expect that uh, my body's going to be hurting, sucking wind, getting acclimated to this environment. Um, it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's like, Hey, identify that as a potential, um, contingency and then just
0: plan for it. So a hundred percent. And I, and honestly, I would probably drive you uh, crazy cause I am not a planner. That um, it drives my wife crazy on a daily basis. When I say I'm not a planner um, I, I ask three basic questions. What's the potential weather? How far are we going? And, and uh, you know, what are we going to be hunting? And then after that I, I roll with it. I have my you know what I mean? I have my set system that I, that I use. The one thing that I want to hand over to Bruno here in a second is when you have built up, um, your, your set and your, your field craft, your animal behavior, knowing all of that stuff, um, you can pretty much handle anything with a small amount of knowledge. You're ready. The one thing that you really is heavily important with this is, which I'm going to hand to you, Bruno is, is fitness. Um, the, the one thing I have found with the ability to you know, know mountains too high, um, I have no doubt no matter what mountain I point to uh, with you guys, we, we can get there, right? And, and some of that's going to be fear of the unknown that people have to get over. Some of it will be lack of knowledge in their skill set like I talked about. And the other part may be laziness or, or the physical ability to get there. When you have all of those things honed, you are a much more skilled killer, right? That you just are. You can go anywhere at any time with no no worry whatsoever, and know you can come out. and And I do seminars and all over the place, and I have people ask questions like, "Hey, you know, I I, I got an elk down. It started raining. Um, you know, I'm shivering, uh, and I don't have any have any food. Um, I'm I'm hitting a uh, very survival type situation or an emergency, and I'm like. No, that's, uh, that isn't shit. You, you can go two weeks without eating. That's, uh, it's not a problem at all. Right. And you, you have a dead elk and, uh, go do some fucking pushups. Right. It's not that, like they're making it a much bigger deal. Well, Kurt, when I was glassing for you guys, I was shivering uncontrollably and I probably knocked out 700 push-ups that morning. But what I would do is I would glass until I basically couldn't handle it. I would go over, knock out some crunchies and some push-ups, do some air squats, hop back on the glass. What it is is lack of knowledge knowing the human body, in in my opinion, knowing what the human body is capable of. You can go two days without water, two weeks without eating. You don't want to do that, but knowing that and then and then knowing, okay, I know how far away water is, you know, I'm gonna have food at this point. Again, that's all important to being a more skilled hunter. But Bruno, on the fitness side, sounds like you are definitely a fat shamer and uh which I'm all about. And and fitness is high on a level, you know, a high level for you. Talk about some of that and your background with that, because that's something today that I think. When the COVID crisis hit, I was constantly bothered by the fact nutrition, dieting, and fitness wasn't more focused. It was just getting the jab rather than talking about a healthy life. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. And so the the biggest thing on fitness, everybody talks, talk base layer. Everybody talks about the two fundamental things, sleep and nutrition being the base, and then Pyramiding up to your training, uh, they're missing the most important thing: is sleep and nutrition. And I don't. And I don't. I call it rest and nutrition because for me, as an athlete, uh, it's not just sleep; it's also performance recovery. Whether you're getting in an ice plunge, whether you're getting in Normatec boots, whatever it may be. But if you're training at a high level as an athlete, recovery is part of rest. Uh, nutrition. That is your diet. That is your supplementation. That's everything you're taking to sustain this base. And then it goes up to your physical training. Uh, For me, physical training is physical training as an athlete. Um, I may be doing sprints up the hills. I may be lifting weights as a power lifter, but it's it's training the full base as an athlete. Um, But that is only the pyramid. Everybody's missing the most important thing, and you've alluded to it, and that's the mindset. Um, The reason you see so many special operations operators that are very unassuming and don't look like me, is because they possess the mindset to will their body to do things that other people can't. Um, So you could be somebody that has the pyramid max, but you don't have the mind to do it and drive your quitter, you give up, you don't go that extra mile, you decide it's just time to lay down. Whereas you can take somebody with less physical skills that has that mindset and will drive through anything. Uh, so, for me, when you're talking preparing for any type of endurance event or any type of comp- a competition, uh, a, a pro athlete, whatever, the switch is to flip the mind and to take your training base, which is what physically gets you there, and put your mind in a state to reach the objective. Um, I learned this very young. Uh, when I first got to the Rangers, I started competing uh, in ultra endurance events, uh, did a couple Ironmans, did the Escape from Alcatraz swim, the biathlon. Um, and that was my game. I was always into endurance, endurance, endurance. And that was the culture uh, in the Ranger and Special Forces with ultra endurance events. It wasn't until I got into my mid-30s and started flying and uh, I did not have the time to train and compete in those events that I leaned a little bit more towards uh, some other training. And, and we used to call it hybrid fitness. Uh, hybrid fitness is basically something that is, if you take a CrossFit and removes all the ballistic moves, uh, that are harmful to the body uh, and a little bit more deliberate on your form. That's how I've always trained as an athlete, very high tempo uh, and and using power type movements. I think for me, the the way to be an athlete through your whole life is to one, not just train for your particular event that you're trying to do, but train your whole body and your mind. Uh, I'm fortunate, I'm married to a, a pro athlete. She She lives in a gym, she trains a lot. So it's a culture in our household. Uh, we, we wake up every morning and we train and we train six days a week with one off day a week. And I never used to take an off day, but as I get older, I need that recovery day. Um, probably the biggest thing I would say for your type of event, for the endurance event, uh, the people that don't know what they're getting into, especially when you're getting to the higher altitudes and are not properly conditioned, uh, the first thing that's gonna fail them in my mind is never their body it's their mind um now if you have somebody that is like me that doesn't stay conditioned and has the mind you cannot will yourself through an unconditioned body so i'm not saying you you have to have both you have to have the ability to have the physical ability to do the event and your mind carry you through it so it's it's kind of a dual prong thing um i don't know what your thoughts are
0: on that no no i agree the one thing i'll say um from putting yourself in a bad position in the wilderness, it's not the mentally soft guys that that ever happens to because they're too weak to do anything difficult. It's the guys that their mind will push their body past the point of no return. And when I say that the mind fails for almost everyone first, not the body. There are, there are a few, a select few that they will push themselves mentally far past where their body should actually go those are the fuckers that get in trouble because i'm one of them and i'm getting better at it but i have some young dudes that work for me where i'm like you are both gonna fucking die like they're mentally so strong they will push their but i mean when i say that like point to maybe some cognitive tests because I'm like, hey, you, you have put, pushed yourself to a point, your brain's not working correctly. Those are the ones that generally get in trouble because their mind, their, their willpower is so strong that they have pushed themselves to a point their body is starting to fail. Talk about though, as far as getting your body ready to like... <laughs> When I, when I, when I, when I train now compared to years ago, I don't train with heavy weight anymore per se. Like I don't do anything stupid. I don't ruck with a hundred pounds for training. I do 45 to 50. I do a lot more pull-ups, push-ups, uh, planks, lunges, things like that. And cardio wise, I don't do as much backpack cardio. I used to, cause my knees are starting to catch up with me, but doing something every day. And when I say that, if you are starting Eighty pounds overweight or a hundred, it is a mindset, and as you said, a lifestyle. Just start doing f- fucking something, and then go from there. But talk about that as far as what somebody should do every day, because you don't even have you don't have to have a gym. You can do a ton of shit just in your garage. But bridging up, a guy's eighty, pounds, let's say forty pounds overweight, and he gets a hold of you. I'm like, call Bruno. He'll get you. He'll get you settled. What are you gonna tell him on the fitness and the nutrition side?
2: Well, the biggest thing right up front is you're right, you don't need a gym, you can train at home. But the one thing nice about going to an organized sports center, gym, whatever you wanna call it, uh, it it puts a little monkey on your back. There's people watching me that, you know, you you get in there and you wanna perform a little bit better. I know for me, we have both a home gym and we belong to three gyms in the city. And my best training days are when I'm in, when there's a packed gym and there's other people looking at the old silverback and I get it on. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, it's about having a versatile training program. Um, if somebody's overweight, um, they can't just be doing cardio. They need to be doing a car, a mix of cardio and weights. Um, you need to tone the muscle, build the muscle while you're also reducing the fat. Um, if you're training for an endurance event, then you're weight training and your endurance training, being your cardio, whatever, should be commensurate with each other. What I used to like doing, uh, for example, um, I'm, I'm all about low impact. Uh, I would get on a step mill and I would get on a step mill and do 45 minutes at a very aggressive rate and then get off and do my leg workout and then get back on the step mill and do another 15 or 20 minutes and uh, just do a high RPM where the legs are burning because that's where the kick is. That's where I'm gonna get the extra push when I'm out in the actual terrain. Um, stay away from the typical you know, weight training movements. You wanna train whole body. I, something I've always told young athletes, uh, I work with a lot of younger athletes. Uh, if you train the legs and the back, everything else will come. Stay away from the pretty muscles. Uh, you should be training your legs and back twice a week. That's the strength. That's what gets you over land. That's all your movement. Things like shoulders, chest, and arms, they look pretty in a bar, but they're less functional. And if you're training everything else right, they come with you. Um, so that's kind of my, my functional fitness on how I believe in it. If you come to me overweight, we're not going to just talk about what you're going to do in the gym. We're going to talk about what you're putting in your mouth. Um, nutrition is probably the bigger aspect of it. My, my spouse, uh, she's a competitive athlete that stands on stage and poses. She's a professional figure athlete. Uh, She's been in the weights room training her whole life, but she will tell you in the four month cycle before she gets on stage, it's all about nutrition. Um, That is what fuels your body. Um, You can go into nutrition in detail. I don't believe, I I am not a uh, anti-carb person. If you understand how carbs work in your brain and the function of your body and fuel your muscles, when you're trying to build endurance, they are absolutely important to what you're doing, but it's proper carbs. Uh, the biggest thing I can tell people nutritionally to fix your body right off the bat. um, And and this can go into a way longer separate talk one day about guys that are getting on testosterone in their twenties and thirties. If you fix three things, you're going to see your body perform, get off the booze, sleep more and clean up your
0: nutrition. Hold on. I got to get off the whiskey. Those
2: three things are, well, you know, (laughs) so uh, I'll tell you uh, I've, I've, I've been an athlete my whole life, and what we have in our house is one night a week, we have some drinks, and we enjoy life. I enjoy a cigar, but six nights a week, I'm on it, and it, it doesn't exist in my life. Um, if you look at what alcohol does to the metabolism of the body, the breakdown of your nutrition and everything like that, it's, it's pretty evil. So if you're trying to be an athlete, if you're trying to train for something, the first thing I would say is sleep more, cut the booze, everything else we can
0: talk about after. So let's break down things a little bit more and I don't want to go forever on this, but while I have you guys on, um, in Bruno, you being on the first time for the first time, um, when people come to me with, um, which is at a high level, I mean, it's actually quite gratifying when I see someone that's lost 150 pounds because of the podcast and me fat shaming, cause I'm a recovering fat kid, you know, what, mm-hmm. you know, years ago or whatever, I kind of had that change in lifestyle. I'm like, hey, if you actually just want to shred weight, the fastest way to shred weight is the carnivore diet, but you're probably going to gain all the weight back. Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, that is not a sustainable diet, but it will shred weight off of you. Like, so for me, I say, take out the things that are easy to take out immediately. I'm like, no soda, no processed carbs, uh, you know, like, like, bridge it up and, 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 and Bruno shoot this down, obviously totally if needed. So I'm like, Hey, no more buying shit in a box. Like don't buy crackers. Don't buy things like that. You know, if you can or try just stick to the basics, if it grows out of the ground or it's eating shit that grows out of the ground, you're good. So eat vegetables, eat fruits, eat yams, sweet potatoes, in moderation. If they just started doing that, somebody that's 40 pounds over will probably drop 20 without doing any physical fitness relatively quickly because every gram of sugar you take in or, or sodium, your body retains water. You're going to, so anyway, you're the expert here. Talk about that some,
2: but there's a, there's an old saying. And again, this is something that I teach a lot of athletes. Uh, when you go to the grocery store, Every single thing you need is in the perimeter. You should never be in the inner aisles. If you think about what's on the perimeter, it's all the fresh foods, it's all the vegetables, it's the meats, it's everything you need. The inner aisles is the evil. That's you, you better, You're better. you getting toilet paper or you're getting nothing, right? Um, you, you nailed one thing. Uh, sugar, sugar's a devil. Sugar is responsible for feeding cancer. It is absolutely horrible on the body. If uh, if you're to cut one thing out, of, and oh, by the way, sugar is heavy in alcohol. If you've never looked at The way the body uh, metabolizes alcohol and the sugar in it, it's another reason you're getting sugar. Um, I agree with all the fad diets are a way to cut, but you're going to bounce back and you're going to be twice as ugly and twice as fat when you bounce back. So it's not the longevity thing. Um, The tougher diet is to actually design a diet where you are getting a good mix of clean proteins, clean carbs, and uh, clean fats. And what I mean by that, uh, you know, red meat is great guys. If, if you, if you don't understand lean, red meat is so good for the body. Chicken is great for the body. Fish that is wild caught and not farm raised is great for the body for the proteins. There's three easy proteins to go to any, any one of your potatoes, your red potatoes, sweet potatoes, white potatoes are good. Jasmine or Basmati rice. You take any of those and those are your good carbs. And then your fats, um, your fats are not what you think about. Uh, fats are like an olive oil, uh, fats are like a, uh, a grass fed butter, something like that. Avocado. To be honest with you, the avocado is, is absolutely great. You got to be careful on the blend. Um, you know, for me, for my performance, when I am, uh, it, it trying to get ready for an event, I actually bump my carbs up and bring my fats down a little bit. Um, and I actually get much leaner that way, um, but I always stay in the protein. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different thought on, meals and cycling and all that kind of stuff the big thing i can tell you this is the body can only assimilate so much protein at one time so even a guy my size with my metabolism if you're putting more than 45 grams of protein in your body at one time the rest is going to waste the body can only break down so much so thinking i'm going to do three meals a day with 80 grams of protein per meal you're you're functionally not doing your your things right um there's so many things out there, I can tell you that for a maintenance phase, not trying to build muscle, not being a professional athlete, that if you have one gram of protein per lean pound of body mass of you, that's the right formula per day. So for example, me at 240, uh, I'm probably sitting right now at about 207 in lean mass. So for me to sustain, I need 207 grams of protein in a day to sustain my muscle mass and bearing in a day. Um, I personally do five smaller meals through the day. It's the, we meal prep. I do a breakfast, three meals and a dinner. And my breakfast and my dinner are fresh cooked meals. And my three meals in the middle are meal prepped and done about every three days. Uh, And we just keep cycling fresh food. We don't don't eat junk food, we don't drink booze and we stay naturally fit and athletic and we keep our muscle. And it's small things like that. Now I will tell you, you gotta, you gotta enjoy life. So like I said, we have one day a week that we also have a drink, have a cigar. We can eat anything we want that day, but we understand something that we don't go crazy because it's just, we don't believe in that lifestyle. Once you have eaten clean and see the performance change in your body, that's the big difference is the first month or two, oh, I miss my chips, So I missed that. Once you start seeing how your body performs, how you move, how you strength increase, how you sleep better. And how food starts tasting better when you get rid of sugar food starts tasting so much better um and i love natural food i love steak and all those things that go with it uh so from performance i the other thing is the supplementation thing um you know the only thing i'll say on nutritional supplements uh if you're not getting something that is independently tested third party you're possibly throwing your money away so look at look at the supplements that are out there and what you're taking and know that it's called a supplement. You're supposed to get your nutrition from your food, and you supplement that nutrition with things that you need. And I'm a big believer in supplements. Don't get me wrong, because there's not things you there's things you cannot get through your food. So uh, I use I use a company called Thorn and a company called Revive. I'm very big into gut health. I think it's extremely important. Um, mm-hmm. And the last piece I'll talk about, barring any questions, is is fluids. Um, you should never if if you're drinking soda, if you're drinking fruit juices, you're drinking sugar, you're drinking garbage. Um, you should be drinking something water-based product. Um, you know, you wanna, you wanna take one of your little uh, packets to give it a little bit of flavor. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that if you're, as long as you're bumping your water up. But water is the foundation of everything. Nothing wrong with coffee. Um, probably my biggest thing, if you look at my, me nutritionally, that I don't do very good is I like caffeine. So I will drink caffeine throughout the day to keep me going. But that is also because of, uh, well, to be honest with you, it's the first time I've ever been in an office job truly. And uh, <laughs> the caffeine keeps me going when I'm sitting down.
0: So Yeah. So I, um I do, I, I use like element, element drink mixes, but I, I just pack, I don't, you kind of look like an idiot. So when I'm in the office, I carry this, but when I'm day-to-day, I just carry a and when I'm moving around. So I, I don't look a, a ding dong carrying that thing. But uh, I try to do a hundred ounces a day at a minimum. Usually I'm more 130. I'm also 225 pounds. So um that probably, I say probably, I would say that for my experience working with people is one of the larger problems in the world today especially in north america um i mean other than just eating horrible shit but like not drinking water and i think the muscles are what 65 percent water bones are 15 percent water your brain's 45 percent water um it's like the the best energy drink you can you can have starting off and i'm a caffeine freak too but how much better I feel with water and a high level of it is, is, is amazing. I mean, I, you can, you can feel it. The other thing, when you're talking about supplementation and gut health, once you start diving down this lifestyle and in, in this rabbit hole, um, <clears throat> one, like you said, you're going to feel better automatically. Other times like people are like, well, I have uh, irritable bowel syndrome. You might, but you probably just have a shitty diet and a leaky gut. So talk about the probiotics, the leaky gut, you know, so like, um, oh, we do, well, we take probiotics, but not all probiotics are made equal. I also take other things like I take a shot of um, apple cider vinegar with Himalayan sea salt every day. Um, There's multiple reasons for that, but you're way better at this than I am. Dive into some of that gut health stuff and how much that'll help you or make you feel better.
2: Yeah, and you nailed it. So low testosterone, gut health, leaky gut, all, ha, most of these problems are due to poor nutrition, bad diet, and everybody attributes to something else. It's the same reason the big pharma companies have so many people taking so many pills because, first of all, the people aren't eating correctly, sleeping correctly to have a proper functioning body. Um So I'll tell you something that we start off our morning with in our house every day. And if you look at the nutritional value of it to kick your day off, uh, you you nailed some of it. We do, uh, we take a glass of warm water, just tap water, squeeze a lemon in it and put a teaspoon of pink Himalayan salt in it. If you look at what that does for the body, your body, you've been at rest all night, you're at your most dehydrated minus performing athletic events, you're at your most dehydrated point of the day so you put that salt and that water in and the lemon restores your pH for the day. We put that down and then we go over and I take a, a cup of black coffee and I put collagen protein in it. If you're not aware of it, collagen is the most abundant protein in your body, your ligaments, your tendons, everything you need. You need collagen protein for and for the ladies, for their skin, and their face and all that. It helps quite a bit. And then um, we also put uh, some coconut oil. You can use MCT oil, whatever you want in there. And that gives you a good fat to start the day. That's our magic potion starting out every morning. Um, So people that uh, you'll see, a lot of people like to train fasted in the morning and all that stuff. I still recommend that before you train because it's restoring your pH. It's restoring your alkaline level and everything in your body. It's hydrating you. And then it's giving you a protein and a fat to get in the day. And oh, by the way, you get your little caffeine boost. Uh, and then we move into the day. As far as uh, probiotics and things like that, so uh, one of the big things too that, that is known out there, there's multiple types of probiotics. For example, I mentioned Thorn, They sell five different types. You cannot take the same probiotic. Your body adapts to it. So if you're buying bulk Sam's probiotics, first of all, they're probably not third-party tested probably not what's in the jars, what's on the label, um, you want to cycle your probiotics because you're changing the dynamic of the bacteria and everything in the gut, and you're changing your gut health. Uh, so we cycle our probiotics, and we take quite a few other things as well. Uh, one of the things I am absolutely huge on, um, this is something you have to get prescribed from a doctor as well, is uh, we do injectable B12. Uh, if you we draw our bloods every quarter. And if you look at what B12 does for your body, uh, it, it's it's an amazing, and it's much better injectable than it is as an oral. And it's pretty easy to get from a doctor. Um, there's so many other things you can be doing out there. Uh, if you look at uh, healthy fats and things like that, uh, you talked about avocado, olive oil, you can get healthy fats out of just a good piece of fish. Um, we actually supplement, uh, we will take uh, EFAs, essential fatty acids. I actually take two of them a day with two of my five meals because I am eating a meal that is just protein and carbs. So that's how I'm getting my fat at that portion. Um, when you look at nutrition, uh, the one thing I would say is if you're going to somebody that is doing a nutrition plan for you and they don't ask to see your blood work, they don't ask your uh, if you've had uh, food allergies, they don't ask your medical history, then you are not getting a proper diet. Um, You're not getting proper nutrition because I won't do anybody's nutrition without seeing all those three things. And I build nutrition based on blood. Blood work tells everything with the right panels on it.
0: So, um, and and Kurt, sorry, you're not getting to talk much, but you did get to talk about survival on the first podcast. And and, uh, while we have Bruno on, I want to – milk is brain for everything yeah, when, take advantage of it in 2018 i think so i was just over 40 uh rogan actually was you had mentioned a few times to get my my testosterone checked um i have a fairly clean diet not at the level that, that you do but i mean we don't have junk food in the house usually a hunting camp is when i go downhill um I got my testosterone checked and the person that I saw, um, defiance health, Jessica, she did everything you talked about. They did, uh, mm-hmm. like water displacement for my body fat. They did a you know full blood panel work. So everything from my liver, kidney, thyroid, all kinds of shit, I can't even remember most of it. And then she, they will do, um, a health, a diet plan for you if you want, you know, depending on the level we talked and she's like, you know, you probably don't, you know, need this. But what I learned really, you know, quickly um, was one, my testosterone was really low, but as far as diet, after I did that, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't my diet that was, if not the cause, at least partial cause. So I went down the deep dive, which we don't probably have enough time uh, for this podcast of how much the nutritional, certain things you eat kill your testosterone. And then there's other things as far as when you work out, how you work out, when you eat that don't just boost your testosterone, boost your boost your growth hormones. And, and I am not nearly at the level that you are, but it was quite fascinating because over the last 10 years, especially, I have learned that I don't want to say 99% and I've had some specialists on the podcast diet fixes almost every part problem in the body. Um, and when I say that from mental health, from, um, you know, uh, swollen knees or inflammation, um, you know, the gut health, the shit in your pants, all the other problems to me, diet fixes almost all of those. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, there are some circumstances, especially when you talk to testosterone levels, that nutrition alone won't do it. But, yes, I do agree. I, I agree that, first of all, what is if, if you look at what is allowed to be sold in America that the FDA endorses versus products that are made that are not allowed to be sold in Asia and Europe of American origin, I'm talking cereals and all that, we're selling. There's so much stuff being sold to the consumer right now that kills your body kills your testosterone, and actually makes you addictive to sugar. Um, if you clean up your nutrition, your body will be in such a better place. Uh, I, I never got COVID. Um, I never got sick with COVID. Uh, and it's I my wife and I both believe that it was nutritionally and physically fitness-based. And the, uh, the crazy part about it was is we did not become hermits. Um, we were still training and doing everything in life and going, you know, we went on vacations to Mexico where COVID didn't exist and we never got COVID. Um, and I, I believe it was absolutely attributed to our nutrition and our fitness. The cases were, first of all, and this is not just a male thing, um, men and women, women are the, the worst at not getting tested for <laughs> testosterone, in their 50s and and late 40s and they also will drop as well and believe it or not low dose testosterone for women with low dose levels it's actually hormonal treatment will put them in a much better place mentally and physically so this is something women need to look at as well too. go get their blood drawn go see a doctor go consult with them Um, some of the things that can cause low testosterone that a doctor a, a diet won't fix tbi Uh, traumatic brain injury um there are functional things in the body where too much blast drops a guy's t and it can't it's very common in the special operator community um and and that's another problem but so so tbi can affect through the brain to where nutrition cannot correct it and the guys do need exogenous testosterone to get back to a healthy level here's the problem with that when you Get exogenous testosterone. I'm talking about you put a needle in you or you put pellets in you. Uh, I'm not a a big supporter of the cream whatsoever. Um, Once you do that, your body starts saying, oh, I don't need to make it. I've got it. Now, there are things you can take to continue to get your body to produce it, but it's not near as effective as people would believe. So my point being is if you're a 30-year-old, And you go on testosterone you're effectively committing to going on exogenous testosterone for the rest of your life or you're going to dump and go into a it's going to get worse when you come off it the reason that's important to know is if you have low testosterone from your blood check because you're drinking because you're not sleeping right um and your and your diet is terrible the three biggest things that bring testosterone down um you may say, well, I'm a special operator. I've got it because I've got TBI. Um, I guarantee you, if you correct your sleep, correct nutrition, and uh, drop the booze or at least curve back in it, you're going to watch your testosterone levels come way up, and then you need to judge what what you need to do from there. So, yeah, Aaron, to answer your question, nutrition, um, I would say in 95% of the cases, cures all to include some very interesting studies on people that have incurable cancer and nutritioning and eating and supplementing their way out of it. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting to see some of that stuff that goes on.
0: Yeah. And if you're a reader, I would strongly suggest diving in into this and, and, and looking at it. Um, but I don't, we're, we've been on almost two hours. I don't want to take Too much more time. Um, I would like to get both of you guys back on separately. Curtin, you and I can talk about prepping and how people not to die and then dive into your brain a little deeper, uh, Bruno, on the, you know, the, the fitness and nutrition side of things. It's a it's a huge thing for me being a recovering fat kid and, and learning what I've learned and kind of, you know, helping to push that out. And then obviously on your side, Kurt, people wanting to get out in the wild and, and not die. Um, you know, talking about that as well. Um, is there anything you two want to leave with any tidbits or anything? I just, uh, thanks for having us on, uh, you know, the relationship
2: with you and born primitive is huge, but this goes beyond that. And, and I would just say that for anybody that's been listening to us talk, uh, the next time we get on i'll provide some really uh vetted references that people can have and understand nutrition um and a few other things that are out there Uh, books books that i swear by um there's one on sleep there's a couple on nutrition there's a couple on testosterone that if people are interested in it it'll help them out but the biggest thing i'll leave you with uh in what we've been talking about today is that uh, nutrition is the foundation if you're getting rest and you're getting nutrition your body is going to perform it's the ultimate machine and it's going to perform the way it was designed to perform if you're if you're faking it and you're pretending to be on a nutrition plan and you're really not doing it and committing to it it will still not operate correctly that's really about it
1: uh yeah i'm, I'm pretty good man i uh, appreciate you having us on um i at first was pretty resistant to wanting to do something like this um makes you feel uncomfortable getting on a podcast but i think what's more important is just having these great conversations transferring that knowledge is the biggest thing so putting this information out there for people who may have heard it but weren't listening uh to somebody else maybe this kind of resonates with them with with how we're speaking so uh yeah i appreciate the opportunity and i uh, look forward to doing some more
0: no it was, it was great having you guys on i really appreciate it and everybody um, obviously check out, uh, the, the new websites or finished or almost finished for the Born Primitive Tactical, Born Primitive Outdoor. And then there's also Born Primitive, which is the, you know, the fitness side. So there's going to be three different websites and there's also the campfire side of things, but make sure and check that out. Uh, go follow Born Primitive on Instagram and Born Primitive Outdoor, Born Primitive Tactical. Uh, and obviously thank you both for your, for your service. Um, Obviously, Bruno, you doubled Kurt, so you definitely Tommy topped him forty and twenty. That is impressive. You, that is the most. My my buddy Tetrault had thirty two years in, I think, and you beat him. Do you know anyone that has served longer than you?
2: I've got a buddy that's a general that wears four stars. It's at forty four years.
0: Oh, he kicked your ass. Yeah, um, <laughs> he
2: did. He did. But he. But but. But a lot of that was officer time so it kind of
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well cool well thanks again fellas I truly appreciate it and uh, actually do we want to mention anything about the um the upcoming um uh well we're donating a hundred thousand to uh the uh, veteran and uh first responders should we talk about that at all
2: yeah burn it man
0: yeah so uh, a couple
2: things coming up uh on the 28th if we have this out there before then, it will be National First Responders Day. Uh, Born Primitive is going to be running a, uh, a nice sale through GovX for all first responders on the 28th of this month. And then on Veterans Day, uh, what we're doing is all the proceeds for that weekend that Born Primitive, all the entities that we make, will go to uh, multiple charities that basically are, are great charities that you can see on our page. And it's, it's a great way for us to give back uh, over, over that weekend. And then we'll turn right around and we'll go into Black Friday and try and make some of that money back.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, other than that, thanks again, fellas. And, uh, yeah, look forward to having you on again. All right. Thanks, buddy. Jared.